Spooky, huh? You know, I actually chose this opening in an attempt to deliberately confuse you and make you question if you put on the right episode. <laughs> Here, let's start over, I'll explain. So that was exactly how our chat on horror with Fred Armisen began, and it's one of our more popular episodes, so in an attempt to make you feel even the tiniest bit of today's emotion, which is doubt, I figured I'd take a big swing and mess with you a little bit and make you think you put on the wrong one by mistake. Did it work? Hmm? Hmm. Huh. You know, I'm starting to feel like this might have backfired, and now I'm doubting my decision to open with this bit entirely. Uh, okay, you know what? Forget about it. Let's just jump right on into the episode. Hello, world. What is up? Welcome to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte, and for today's episode, I'm pretty sure we're talking about doubt. Doubt, right? Is it... I'm just messing with you. That was a terrible joke I did for the intro there. I know what today's topic is, uh, but, but doubt certainly is an interesting one. You know, you might not have even considered it a proper emotion necessarily until right now. And for a lot of people, their gut reaction is to think of self-doubt. I know mine was. Uh, and that's not wrong, but, but doubt takes on so many different shapes. It fans the flames of curiosity, driving new discoveries and growth. I mean, it's built right into the scientific method. Uh, it can also be crippling and stifle creativity. Ever heard the phrases, I am my own worst critic or get out of your own way? Doubt can preserve, it can protect, but it can also impede progress and destroy. In pop culture, from Chucky Finster on Rugrats to Larry David, we sure do seem to love a neurotic protagonist. And what would even be the point of our spirituality and beliefs if they didn't persist in the face of some semblance of doubt? Personally, I recognize the necessity and see the purpose it serves, but man, is it hard keeping all of my doubts in check. At the start of the series, I doubted not only my ability to do all this, but frankly any value my presence would add to these conversations. And even after all these weeks and doing what I think is a pretty decent enough job, I still can't shake the feeling I'm sitting in somebody else's seat at the table. So why is that? Why have so many of the people I've interviewed over the years confessed to suffering from the so-called imposter's syndrome? By now you know the drill. I've got a lot of questions, but I also have some pretty knowledgeable companions and great news. After a couple of weeks of exile, we took a vote and decided to let Dacker back into the circle. <laughs> I'm obviously kidding. He's, he's a very busy dude, but thankfully he's made some time once again. And I, for one, am grateful to have the whole gang back together. Uh, joining me as always, Dr. Alan Cowan, Daniel Credit Cobb, and of course, the great Dr. Dacker Keltner is here. How is everybody feeling today? Are you guys feeling all right? Yeah. yeah, we're good. First moment of naming doubt, I'm always the Dr. Sandwich, Dr. Cowan. Dr. Keltner and just the lady in the middle. It's like a bad, it was the bad take of spies like us when it was like, doctor, 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 doctor. Anyway, Dr. Sandwich. So we begin. I did not do that intentionally, but I, I kind of like the term the Dr. Sandwich. I didn't want to. I think if I have the two halos, they land on me in a way that I could say I'm a doctor of the heart or something, you know, like Dolly Parton and well, straight it's, talk. It's so funny. I always <laughs> laugh when you tell me that you possess any doubt entering this room, Danielle, because if you if you guys remember the very first episode, I told a very dumb joke, which I am want to do. We were less than five minutes in. I'm doing all the introductions and I'm detailing all of your illustrious careers. And then I say that if you're keeping score at home, that my job was to ask celebrities where in their house they like to keep their Emmys or something stupid like that. It was not a big joke. I was <laughs> Exactly. That's the exact reaction that joke deserves at most is a smirk. 
smirking a polite laugh. But the joke is a, is a direct reflection of the insecurity and doubt that I carry with me to almost everything I do. And uh, I, I want to table that for later. We're going to come back. I want to learn from a recent guest and friend of the show, John Hodgman, and we'll call that a tease for a deeper discussion later as we get into creating from this emotion. But I, I always just, it, it's funny to me to hear when other people that I admire and hold in such high regard also possess doubt. It makes me feel a little bit better uh, to know that I'm not the only neurotic one in the room. Um, but but I'm so happy you guys are here. I'm excited for this episode. I think we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, let's start as we usually do. Alan, I'm going to come straight to you, sir. I mentioned in the intro for a lot of people, the idea of doubt as an emotion, it doesn't really register in the same way as all the other ones we've discussed. Where does it land on the map? What's it nearby? Does it live in the same neighborhood as anxiety? Give me a little bit of background on, on what doubt looks like to you. Yeah. So there's the purely like logical version of doubt, which is, I just don't think that's true. And then there's the feeling of doubt, which can be called suspicion or skepticism or whatever it is. And they are, I think, skeptical or separable. Uh, you can identify cases where you just doubt something, you're just skeptical of something, you can't figure out why it is. And then the feeling is what drives you to search for holes in an explanation or in hmm. a picture. You know, so... Uh, they're separable. And I think the feeling really drives the, the cognitive state most of the time. Um, where does it lie? So it lies near confusion. Um, mm -hmm. It lies uh, near interest. It lies uh, near contempt. Um, so somewhere between confusion and contempt or uh, interest and surprise sometimes. But it is definitely, it's, a, it's an expression. So people can form this facial expression that we call, sometimes it's called a not face, but it's really identified as, yeah, you just did it. You just, <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I, don't I gotta see it, it again. Yeah, we gotta see it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can recall it. You're gonna have to confuse like a, me once more, but I promise you that won't be hard to do. Uh, keep going. I'll see if we can get another one. Let's find out. <laughs> That's it. That's very Pink Panther. Very Pink Panther. For everyone listening on the podcast, immediately go to YouTube and check out Alan's face. It's we'll the single eyebrow raise and um, some elements of the of the expression of disgust and some elements of uh, the expression of confusion uh, mixed together. But it's recognized in several cultures. And there's also a vocal expression. Ooh. Trying to think of exactly what it sounds like. Hold on. It's like, huh? No, that's more confusion. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. That's down. There you go. Sorry. Nice. Took me a second. <laughs> but you You're sounding like that. <laughs> so there's the, the, the doubt. And there's a, huh, the interest uh, expression. So there's a whole, you know, gradient of expressions there. So that's where it lies in the space. I we mentioned it. Larry David. I'm going to do an audio right now because I'm curious. I mean, I find it so interesting the the like uh, adjacency of all of these things. So, what is you know when Larry David goes, ah, what's that? That's it. That's doubt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell like he's it. about to say, you know. I don't no. think so. Pretty, pretty, it's like yeah, a, okay. it, for me that noise prior to this that would be I would like audible suspicion is how I would describe that sound. There. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, exactly. kind of thing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, one of the things I really wanted to do, other than uh, define it coming out of here, is kind of, if we can, and I think you've just done that, is successfully sort of identify all the different shapes and sizes of doubt, the, the, the many 
different facets of the the doubt diamond, if you will, here. Um, so we've got uh, you've described many of the them. lesser known of the cuts popular with engaged couples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the doubt diamond. I'm a sucker for alliteration, if nothing else. Uh, but I think we've covered most of them. One of the things that uh, you said right out of the gate was you you compared it to skepticism, which is something that I was very curious about is the 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 difference between doubt and skepticism and, and sort of their relationship to one another. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for me? And I'll try to make another confused sound for you while you do it. Yeah. So you talked a lot about self-doubt and mm -hmm. that is an element of doubt as well, but you can doubt other things. And I think anything that's fundamental, uh, that's, you know, really doubting knowledge is skepticism. Skepticism is, is doubting facts. Um, and there is an element of the cognitive state there. And there's an element of logic there. I mean, Cartesian skepticism is just skepticism from a logical standpoint. And it spawned the entire enlightenment and the scientific revolution and all of that. So you can, you can almost consider doubt to be like the most important feeling in some ways. Hmm. Uh, when doubt sort of reigns, you see the greatest progress in human civilization. Hmm. Like the, the you, you know, with... In certain cultures, like the ancient Greeks uh, and the sort of Socratic method, where you constantly question, and then with Descartes, uh, the notion that you can't just trust what you hear, you actually have to go back to basics and figure out how you ground human knowledge properly. And, and I think that has really spawned everything, like all of technology and science. Chicken or egg, scientists, <laughs> doubt and curiosity. Because I like, I'm, it's, Annie Lamott said, and this is unrelated, but I just love this phrase and I find myself applying it to other things. She said that um, help is the sunny side of control. And I was like, oh, that's good. But this idea that doubt feels like the dark side of curiosity or curiosity is the sunny side of, so help me scientists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, I don't think it's the dark side necessarily, mm. but when you, but in order to be curious about what's there, you have to be doubtful of what's there as well. You have to be curious about what's not there. When you see a hole in something, it's, the, it's like the negative space that forms the image, right? Mm. Um, and when I feel most curious is after I realize there's a hole in some explanation and then I just can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop figuring out what, how, do you, how do you come up with a better explanation or what's missing there? What, what does that entail about the rest of uh, what I thought I knew about something? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Dacker, did you see um, doubt show up in your awe work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, and and I like how Alan has framed it uh, about this relationship between doubt and curiosity, and it's a great question that they're complementary ways of doing something that humans do really differently than our, you know, we've talked a lot about our non-human relatives and their emotions. And this may be a unique space of, of emotion for humans is the, what we call the epistemological knowledge-based emotions. Um, and doubt is, is making sure that things are, have integrity and true and curiosity is this open-ended exploration. And awe, um, awe is edged with doubt in a lot of different ways. Um, Mystical awe, when people have mystical experiences of awe, which roughly 80% of Americans have had some kind of uh, what people call extraordinary experiences or supernatural, um, they just doubt the fundamental nature of their beliefs. Like, how could, you know, um, how could I have this hallucination of mm -hmm. a town catching on fire or whatever it is? So, 
doubt is a, as Alan was suggesting, is this really interesting complement to curiosity and awe, which are kind of more intuitively paired. And that's how we go about making sense of the world, you know, is to be open and wild and, and take things in and then see what really holds water in the end. Mm. It's what? a great question because, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I love Alan's statement about this is one of the great engines of healthy societies is, yeah. you know, you got to wonder about today where we have no capacity to doubt the nonsense that you see so often on the internet. One of my favorite, uh, you know, every time you, you get to the, the nuances and complexity of emotion, we, we often go back to Charles Darwin. And Darwin had enormous doubts about his theory. You know, mm -hmm. he, it took 30 years to publish. Uh, and to his dying day, last day, he was like, I'm not sure it was right. You know, and, and I think that that was part of his humility and his awe and his curiosity that, that fueled that discovery. So we need it really desperately. What do you think, or what is there to say of when that we kind when that engine runs amok and we kind of lose control of it? Because Dak, you mess you you mentioned like the present day. There's no shortage of craziness on the internet. You see conspiracy theorists who practically live on a different planet because they doubt the very reality of the world that we all live in. How did how did we or they lose control of it? That that to me feels like uh, you know doubt gone amok, and their doubt being destructive at that point because they're doubting these things that uh, we've all generally bought in as a society, like things that we hold to be true that we have proven to be true. They flat earthers is a great less controversial example of those who are doubting pretty common things these days. Yeah, they would say that we're the doubters, but what what's going on? The, the, how did they go astray? And that's still doubt, but but it can be perceived as a dark side of it. What's what's the difference, and why why do they end up on that side of the fence? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Aristotle got this right. Like all the emotions can do wonderful things. They can make you fight for justice. They can make you take care of of the downtrodden, or they can lead you astray. It depends on the uses we put to them. Um, and, you know, I think that um, one of the things that that doubt, it's interesting, the fact that Alan discovered it has this signal in the voice and, and the face tells us it's really social. And I think that if the science were there, it would show that what doubt engages us in is, is what we do best, which is hmm. rational discourse about the world, right? How do we all make sense as a culture of of, you know, how vaccines work or what, you know, the nature of our biological origins. And we, and I think that that's where the, uh, the pathologies of doubt today reveal us to be struggling as we don't come together to sort through our doubts. Well, it's yeah. a crazy time for doubt too. Not that human history is full of crazy times for doubt. I suppose <laughs> the question is, yeah. what's the, what's the fuel of choice? But when I look at doubt, it's an engine that is fueled by information. And that mm, information yeah. can be correctly construed facts or learned facts or, you know, observed facts or um, information that that isn't that. And I think that's that's what's so interesting, too, is like when an emotion goes amok, it's like, what's the force that's acting upon that very natural, primal, shared, universal emotional emotion? How, how yeah. does it take us to these very divergent um, and disconnecting places because um, that that seeking can become a search for something far off of where it began. 
Yeah. yeah. I would 100%. also say there's an element of outrage, of distrust driving a lot of it. Um, when you see uh, people distrusting the media or fake news, I think that really has to do with almost a character assessment and yeah. um, a way of thinking about other people uh, as not reliable sources of information. Right. And right. absent sort of a curiosity about who, where, where do you find the, the underlying truth? Um, yeah. And I, yeah. So there, there is some, something out of balance there. Oh, that was one um, of the things I was thinking about. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Danielle. No, no, no. Go for it. Well, just uh, how important trust is and, and how trust really is the, the motivational force behind it. It's, it's just who the, the trust is, can be misplaced. And, and I just wonder, and this is more of a psychological question than a scientific question, I suppose, but like, what sparks that trust? You know, does does that part of the brain overlap with the doubt zone at all, or trust and, and, and doubt close together? Like, I don't even know how that works, or if, what if the question I'm phrasing is even a valid question. But you know what I mean? Like, it's so important and so tied to it. I'm curious of the relationship beyond just we know. Well, it's it's in who you trust, and and then you doubt who you don't trust, and things of that nature. Yeah, I think in order to have a productive dialogue, you have to trust somebody's intent, even if you don't mm-hmm. trust that they are a reliable source of knowledge or that they have the right answer. You have to trust their intent and their genuineness. And when you lose that, you can no longer have a productive conversation. I think that's what's sort of breaking down. Hmm. If you look at the history of philosophy, like they talk about each other in ways that are very skeptical, but there's always a trust in the intent of your opponent. Hmm. Danielle, I'm so sorry. I know you were taking a sip of water while I said your name, but you were about to say something earlier and I cut you off and I was just, uh, where were you heading? I was chasing the exact same thing. I thought it was interesting. I was going to use the word judgment instead of trust, but that idea that contempt is so closely, you know, that that's the next zip code over is interesting because when I think of the moment that judgment is present, it's like everything else disappears. Yeah. I, I can talk about self-doubt all day, uh, and, and, and I, I don't want to make this whole episode about it because I'm, I'm rife with it. But I did mention briefly up top uh, imposter syndrome, which for those listening that are unfamiliar, according to what I Googled, uh, it's where someone doubts their skills, talents, accomplishments, and is constantly afraid of being exposed as a fraud, despite evidence to the contrary. I've, and I've encountered uh, mm. uh, tons of successful, famous people in, in my line of work who have experienced this. I myself, uh, unburdened by their wealth and overwhelming success, have also felt this way. And, and I'm curious if, if anyone in the room has ever felt or experienced a version of that before as well. And I know, Daniel, you mentioned Dr. Sandwich, um, but just a, a anybody else's experience in, in that realm uh, or something similar to that? Yes. <laughs> awesome well thank you for joining us this week on the feelings lab everybody <laughs> appreciate you tuning in for another <laughs> you care to elaborate alan what do you what can you tell me about that experience buddy well i think that you have to first of all you should have a little faith right in order to have self-doubt according to the literature and this has been well studied you have to have a little bit of expertise or knowledge that there is expertise in the subject until you have that, generally, you, you have overconfidence in your ability. So it's generally a good sign. And then there's that weird curve where, you know, your level of sort of self-doubt increases until your expertise gets to a certain point and then, and then starts or decrease. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, you know, until you're really, really, really 
highly regarded as an expert. You generally don't have an in- a reduction in self-doubt. Got it. Got it. Dacker, I consider you an expert. Do you have any self-doubt? Oh, yeah. Never. I mean, it- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was lucky because I, I had two parents tell me like, you know, always give the finger to authority figures. Don't, you know, be free in your own self sense of self. And so I think it saved me from, from that. But, you know, my entire adult, <laughs> as an adolescent, I was uh, the smallest kid of 300. And I was, I doubted the very fact that I would ever hit puberty for several years. So, you know, and then, um, you know, I doubted, um, I think early in, you know, these complicated careers that Danielle's had and, um, and I, you know, any kind of career, um, I was just around people who um, had a different kind of intelligence that I could probably, you know, more mathematically based, I couldn't mm-hmm. achieve. So I had a lot of doubt about almost everything I said. And, yeah. um, but I think, you know, one of the things I love about these interesting spaces of emotion uh, and the more complicated emotions is they reveal these greater truths about who we are, right? So with guilt, for example, a lot of people would medicate themselves if they felt too much guilt. Mm -hmm. And we don't like the emotion, it's painful. But in fact, people who feel a lot of guilt tend to be better leaders, right? They tend to be better managers. They're more sensitive. And I think doubt keeps us honest. It keeps us humble. So um, I've had tons of doubt throughout yeah. the career and it's I've been grateful for it. And it's been horrible, you know, to <laughs> to feel these years of doubt, dreams. I remember I had this dream one time in grad school where it's like, all right, and this is a classic educator's dream, like, Matt, it's time to teach your class. <laughs> You're like, okay. And I gave a lecture on trickyotomy. <laughs> and it was all a trick, you know. And I was yeah. like, yeah. So you know, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful fuel. Yeah. yeah. There's also, you know, we talked about the positive side of self-doubt a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, which is humility, um, self-doubt mixed with, you know, sort of a pride of, of where you are. So I think, I think it can have a, it has a good side. Um, and then the, the negative side is probably the, ang- the anxious side, which we talked about last week. Yeah. Which you talked I about think as well. I was thinking about this too. And it's like, I could also talk forever about um, self-doubt and, imposter complex and mistaken yeah. identity and all the forms that it takes in my, in my life. But, oh my God, dear listener, I will not do that to you. Um, instead, what, what I actually thought was more interesting as I was reflecting on it was um, creative process for me. It's like doubt shows up like that train is never late. And it shows up at reliable parts in the creative process that earlier mm. in my career... I mean, and the interesting thing about like the work that I've done for a thousand years is it's like there's the research element of it there's the design element of it there's the culture element of it it's always a deeply collaborative process i have had the blessing of working with so many incredible people that in the room i'm always having that moment like you talked about matt where i'm like did is there did i read the wrong name tag on the chair like surely this is not my table sir um but what's interesting is it's like i was thinking about it because uh, recently, I've just had a lot of 
ideas flowing and it's this energy and it's this life force. And for me, that feels like the curious thing. And so what I love is that these things are all nestled into, you know, with each other, but that curious feeling of opening and ah, and possibility. And what's funny is anytime some big idea comes in, inevitably the thing that follows it is, this is crap. I don't even know if that's true. If I was asked someone else, would they think that was crazy? And so what I I remember I had this amazing boss when I was at Apple who when I was describing to him the mess of my research and it like in my brain it looked like Claire from Homeland with just string and colors and flapping paper and just madness. <laughs> and it was like, what is this? And there's this, but it doesn't make sense with that. And this feels true, but that feels like bullshit. And I don't know how any of it fits together and just blah. And yeah. he was so great. He was like, this is how it's supposed to feel. This is a creative process. It's messy. Mm. It's iterative. It is not linear. It will bring forward all of the parts of yourself to solve this problem because it's something new. And for me, I was like, oh, this is creative too. My design work isn't the only creative thing. Like, oh, this is, you know, and so I think what's beautiful is I feel like these little arcs amongst the emotions are part of the creative experience of being a human, trying things, changing things, failing, trying again, and just really riding the lines of our energy and spirit. And when I think about the social piece of it, which I hadn't, I hadn't thought of like, like I love it, the faces and the sounds, those social beacons. Cause when you think about those things happening, it's like when I think of the moments of doubt in my creative process, that's when I start checking in with everyone. Is this true for you? What does this sound like? Will you check me on this? Is this bullshit? Mm. Is that cool? And it's like that, that's the moment where everybody comes in and then you go back to your tunnel and then you come back out. And I just think it's so interesting to think about the, to use that word engine, these almost like rhyming emotional couplets of things that move us forward. That's so, so anyway, that's my ramble, but It's it's, it's beautiful stuff. Yeah. yeah, no. I mean, I think what you just described is epistemic humility. I mean, that's. The, I think that too. Yeah, I, I was going to say it first. I was going to say it first. We talked about like skepticism being a driving force, I guess, in human civilization. Really, just being like the probably the most important thing that's uh, that drives progress. But it's also epistemic humility, doubting your own ideas, um, and 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 that's been talked about in philosophy as well. So you come up with the with ideas. Um, and then you knock down 99% of them. And then the 1% are the good ones. And that's that's where progress comes from in a lot of uh, theories. Danielle, um, has, it, has the process, has the self-doubt, has managed it, has it gotten easier? Because like for me, I've been doing <laughs> this for years and it still feels like it's versus any other emotion that I've been like overly exposed to that like over time I get like really comfortable with that one. This one's like fresh every day. And it's like, no matter, like, it's just as strong as the first time. Oh. And so I wonder like, you know, has that, has that gotten easier? Have you, what have you learned from it over time? And how have you like applied that to like use it mm. as an ally and, and, and put it back into the sauce instead of it like throwing you off your game? Yeah. Well, I feel like the, and the reason I mentioned that boss is when he named it for me, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. I can see the edges of this. And then when it happens over and over and over and over again, then what happens is it shows up and you're like, Hey there, you're on time. Like, good to see you. And so just yeah. the naming of it and the familiarity of it automatically kind of right sizes the monster. And I'll say yeah. that my doubt monster 
is really good friends with my anxiety monster, uncertainty monster, like my deep care for wanting to make a contribution monster. You know, I guess that's not a monster. That's a saint, but it's like (laughs) in the cosmology of my craziness, um, the, that monster, the doubt monster shows up in a different outfit every time. So sometimes it takes me a while to be like, oh, it's this thing. It's it's you again. You wore a different outfit. You wore that funny nose and the hat, and I cannot I recognize that. you. So I feel like it's one of those things where the um, <clears throat> the signal for me is what's the pattern and how I'm feeling about the thing that I'm doing because I'm always I'm always in some creative process. There's always the part that um, is new. There's the part that's not new, and it's almost like if you have. I mean, it's why I love Alan's work with the maps. If you have a map of your own experiences, we are archetypal beings. We travel mm-hmm. in certain yeah. ways. Maybe that changes over time, but we kind of have the same gestural gestalty dance as beings. And for me, it's like the more I can recognize that in myself, then I can like get into the step and dance with it. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's like, I don't, I don't want to say necessarily that it's gotten easier. I'm just more predictable to myself. And yeah. I, and I have a lot of, humor with that because it's right. like, oh, okay, now I'm not identified with it. It's over here and I'm over here. And okay. Uh, one, I love the idea of the monsters back but in a different outfit and like a funny hat. It, it's just a great <laughs> way to describe it. And also it's a wonderful image. My monster um, loves drag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Shout um, out to Monet. <laughs> but you know, you talk about uh how you have humor with it and and, and I I don't know so that joke I was talking about earlier, the whole like, why am I here? I used to interview celebrities kind of thing. It, lame as that joke is, I don't know that that joke exists in a world where I don't doubt myself and my abilities and I actually believe that I belong. I make a different joke. I talk about something else and I just think of like, I see the power behind it of like, okay, this thing, it's an engine and I, my humor is, shout out to George, my ugly coping mechanism. Uh, but I think of people <laughs> like Larry David or Phoebe Waller-Bridge or just the, the self-deprecating uh, humor. So much comedy comes from a place of doubt and insecurity. And it's just another fascinating example to me of humor marrying itself to a difficult emotion. Like that all comes up almost every episode now of like, well, thanks <laughs> to humor, we can deal with this thing. What do, <laughs> what do we think that's all about? Why does that always pop up like just laughter and humor just kind of bumps up and it's like hey don't be afraid i'm here to make this better for you that happens mm. very often and it's happening again smart people thoughts well i mean i think that one of the things humor and laughter are really hard to pin down in terms of you know what their singular function is or purpose in the human emotion repertoire but but one a good candidate for humor is to point us to alternative realities uh, compared to what we expect to be true. So people often laugh, for example, um, in the face of really stressful circumstances, even traumatic circumstances, just like, wow, this is so raw and hard to imagine. Let, let me transport myself to a different understanding of the world. And, and that would set the stage for why it should be part a companion of doubt. And I'd really never thought about it, but it, it, and it may be a particular kind of laugh that, you know, Alan's mapped the laughs, different, you know, 40, 50 different kinds of laughs that there's this laugh of like, I doubt this proposition about the world and how absurd I would think that because here's another way to think about the world. So I think humor comes with doubt and a lot of other complex states to, to transport us to a different understanding. Um, mm. And we need it with doubt. You know, we need that's part of the purpose of doubt is to sharpen our understanding of the world. 
Love Actually, it. can I bring up a story that I found really profound? And Dacker and Alan, you were there. And Matt, you should have been there because you make everything better. Um, Hume is actually, in a very visionary way, has an ethics capacity and institute that is paired with a company. And the reason why is there is so much powerful work to be done in the kind of advocacy and activism of the space of emotion for people. And so the reason I bring that up is not just to shout out the company, but also the the group that gathered was an incredible group of human beings that have all been carving paths and doing pioneering work in their own kind of right. And what was great was in the first meeting I joined, it, everybody had already met. So the few of us that were new were a little like, Ooh. and what was great was each person was like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm honored mm-hmm. and, and then got into why they were lit up about this shit. And I thought that was super cool because it wasn't intentional. But what I'm realizing having this conversation now is actually that's how you link arms with people mm, and yeah. figure out yeah. the way forward is because we're all in it together. We're all the same. And what do we all bring to bear? So what's interesting is social action as a function of yeah. doubt. I'm wondering. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I mean, it was amazing because we had like one of the leading partners of a top law firm and we had professors and we had, uh, you know, people who had been at the top of industry and everybody had, But, you know, one of the things we don't know a lot about with respect to, you know, Danielle's thinking about social action and doubt is, you know, and and I, I, this is a new frontier. The statistics have just been worked out about how you study social collectives and the interdependence of behavior and feeling amongst people. Uh, It's hard to do, right? But I think that doubt has this purpose within social networks, like, Mm. you know, uh, a political body or scientific body or artistic group of, of getting that set of collective minds to act together, to advance their, their form of culture. Right. And, and so uh, I think it's a, you know, one of the great things about talking with people like Danielle is they point scientists to new hypotheses, right. Um, maybe a lot of social movements begin in really disarming doubt, right? Where you're just like, wow, mm. you know, I didn't realize uh, that's what we were doing in Vietnam or whatever the case may be. So uh, really neat idea, Danielle. For sure. Um, Alan. That, that, that will be good ammunition for my doubt monster. I'll say Dacker said. <laughs> 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 Got to feed that doubt monster. Have to. Um, Alan, it's a real- sandwich to distract it, so I can carry on. <laughs> You're making me hungry tonight with this episode. You got a lot of sandwich talk. We got. <laughs> That's right. Um, Metaphor of the day. But real quick, before going too further ahead, because there's some other topics I want to get to while we're still in this space. And, uh, you know, I, Danielle, I asked you if it's gotten easier for you. Alan, I, I'd love to hear some of your personal experience. And forgive me if I'm speaking out of school, but I know coming into this show, this this you even talked about your anxiety on the show when we did the anxiety episode of how <laughs> you get anxious coming into some of these. How how does your relationship with doubt or or any of those things evolved as we've done more of these and as we've gotten this deep into the season and and just what's that journey been like for you? I haven't given I haven't mm. had a chance to ask you too many personal questions and tonight felt like a great opportunity to do that. <laughs> so I'm putting you on the spot, buddy. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess being in any sort of show like this where I'm on the record is hard for me because even just going through life, 
I'm very careful about everything that I say. And then when it's on the record, I, I, I tend to, it amplifies the feeling of doubt that I have. So yeah, I, I, I don't know what else I have to say about that. But. What record do you think you're on right now, Alan? I'm just also, curious. Alan, like, I'm in charge of said record. I edit this show. This could, this could be a safer space for you. Do you think the CIA is listening in or chewing on? It's hard to control. I, I, I don't know. I mean, even though, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, I won't have really probably the chance to go back and review every single word I said and make sure that I, that I still think of think it's true, you know, an hour later, day later, two days later. Well, you should that, definitely ask for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't for want podcast that. posterity. <laughs> I, I love that. I don't have to do that, but <laughs> Alan, there are 800,000 podcasts in, in the United States <laughs> that just started. There's that, that, that's only the ones today. Those are the new ones. So <laughs> You're it's fine. not rational. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. They're going to get you. They're going to yeah. get you. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I'm, I'm getting calls. I'm definitely not a performer because every time I would have to perform something, I would think, well, like, why would anybody want to hear me? You know, so that's yeah. I, I do have a lot of that for sure. I mean, I think that too uh, all the time. I'm thinking that right now. <laughs> but alas, here we are. I won't push you any further. I'll stick to questions about monkey porn if that's uh, if that's easier. <laughs> Reminding yeah. that the you're okay on the record on those. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's no doubt in monkey porn. Let us know. <laughs> no room for it. No. Not in that yeah. industry. Very clear cut. Uh, <laughs> let's shift over uh, before we run out of time. Doubt and religion uh, is a big area. There's a Kierkegaard quote, which if this poll seems out of place for me amongst my Marvel Cinematic Universe and Seinfeld references, it's because I saw it in the Wikipedia entry for doubt. So, again, I dig deep. Uh, but I love that. And these words have just been like living in my brain since I read it the other day. Uh, it's so simple and, and so obvious, but for some reason, it stuck with me. For one to truly have belief in God, mm. one would also have to doubt one's beliefs. Um, the doubt is the rational part of a person's thought involved in weighing evidence, without which the belief would have no real substance. And I loved that because... I, you know, I grew up, I said in the show before, I grew up Catholic, so like doubt and questions paved the sulfur-laden path to the devil's workshop, right? But in actuality, <laughs> doubt is such an incredibly important part of it. It gives the whole thing meaning. Uh, so the question, I suppose, for me is why then do some people suppress doubt or try to eliminate doubt or, or confront it with anger? Where, where, what's that all about? Well, I mean, I think Kierkegaard's belief in God was... Um, probably in his own mind, a more resolute belief and a more, you know, grounded belief than he probably thought most people have. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think for him to truly believe something, you have to have examined all of the reasons why it might not be right. true. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think his view actually contradicts most of the history of religion. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, I think in most <laughs> cases, like faith is in direct tension with doubt. Yeah. And, um, when, you know, you post on a door, you know, a bunch of reasons why people shouldn't believe this religion to be true. People would have come and tried to kill you. I mean, that happened many times in the history right. of mankind. So I think, you know, th these things are definitely intention more often than uh, they're working together. Um, but that being said, 
uh, you know, there are many traditions in religion that are very focused on asking questions. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a Kabbalistic tradition in Judaism and, um, and this, you know, mystical side, as Zachary was saying, it's very tied to mysticism in, in most religions um, that comes with a lot of question asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's where you get people really almost in awe of the religion. You get people really connecting emotionally more rather than just accepting sort of what they're told. And I think that really resonates in a more authentic way. That that might be what Kierkegaard was talking about. Well, yeah. And I think the authenticity, that's the thing that's resonating with me. As someone who grew up in a time where it was like, stop asking questions. I don't know. Because that's what it says in the book. I just, I don't know. I don't have any more answers. I I obviously, I've been doing this my whole life, asking an endless stream of questions. And so (laughs) to to see it framed in that way of like, actually, the questions are a good thing. It it, it gives meaning to the idea of belief. Because if you just believe something and and, and, and it's a fact, it's been proven, it's not really a belief. It's, It's just knowledge. You just know a thing versus believing in something and having faith in something, which is so much more powerful when you introduce that you're doing that, even though there's doubt in the world, you you choose to believe it. And that just, that, that really struck me. And I never really seen that quote or had it framed that way. Like I said, even though it's kind of obvious and straight and I, I guess in contradiction to every other way people think about religion, but it really worked for me. Um, I think what's interesting about that space is there's that beautiful quote by the Asaro tribe that's like, knowledge isn't wisdom until it lives in the bones. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I think about the coupling of faith and doubt, it's the nonverbal there. When I think about faith and doubt, and I, it's like, what's an interesting kind of moment where they, they work into each other is direct experience. Mm. It's, what is my something transcendent happens or you're touched or moved by something and that is human and real and in the body and in the form and here and then i think it's like what's interesting then is um doubt curiosity awe present is says what just happened and how does that fit with my experience and or my understanding my beliefs my conception of what the way things work etc and i think what's interesting too is how you can have faith and the inquiry within that faith strengthens it, works with the elasticity of it, stretches it. And it's like, um, I, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I think like for me, I remember the point and I've never used this much of my philosophy study. So my parents will be super happy about this podcast. I'll be like, she finally did something with it. <laughs> but, but the, uh, Pascal's wager for me was profound because in the indecision and uncertainty of what's true and how do you know, and yes, you can collect direct experiences over time that feel like an informed understanding or cosmology or story of the way you, your place in the world and, and the universe. It's like, I found myself constantly cobbling together like Vedic, Vedic texts and then also like astronomy. And it was like trying to make sense of all of these worlds that didn't seem to pair. Um, but Pascal's wager helped me because it was like, basically, you can believe that there's the good thing at the end. And you can either have the good thing at the end. Great. You believe the right thing or not. And then, you know, you live well and enjoy that illusion. <laughs> or you can not believe in the good and, you know, be could believe in that that doesn't exist. And basically, then you end up at, you know, finding out that you're wrong and it does exist. And well, that sucks. Or you're right. And that also sucks. So for me, it was like that tic-tac-toe <laughs> was super powerful because it was like, well, even if I'm wrong, how do I want to live in the world? How do I want to yeah. feel as I live in the world? If these things really 
can't be answered. So I love things like that too. How do you play with doubt um, yeah. to make it work for us, you know, individually, socially, um, in terms of action, like we were talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I'm still swimming with that quote that you dropped. Isn't that beautiful? That's yeah. a beautiful one. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, all right. We're coming up in the home stretch, which will only mean one thing. Alan, <laughs> animals, <laughs> doubt. What do you got, buddy? Give me, give me straight facts. That's all I'm asking for. Don't worry. Don't stress. <laughs> I Is just there want a monkey facts. confessional with a monkey church because of all of the monkey porn and prostitution? Is what we want to know. There has to be. There must be. Oh, <laughs> yes. Man. <laughs> At what point did they exchange the capuchin monkey currency? Uh, when did they give to, the, to the, the, the monkey church? That's what I need to know. There has to be a basket somewhere they're passing around. Did, did that ever evolve? Do they have the monkey deities? Give me monkey, monkey news. That's what I want from you. <laughs> this is tough. I, I don't know of any studies that address this, to be honest. Um, I think maybe animals, from, just from personal experience, I think dogs may feel doubt. Like if you, if you do the treat thing where you like pull up a fake treat over and over and over, eventually they look at you yeah <laughs> i think there's something there i don't even know if this is real but did you just i was thinking of you the other day buddy did you see uh there's a study i found it through reddit of course that's where i get information so take that what you will but the study itself uh was, was referenced in an article i don't know if this helps or hurts my case sapienjournal.org and it was the significance of dog head tilting and it didn't, even to my layman, it didn't sound like a very thorough study, but it essentially came down to like, the, they had like these hyper smart dogs that were proven to be hyper smart because they taught them like three names for three toys and stuff. And, and then they like put them in a group with a bunch of just general dogs. They didn't teach the three names to. And the hyper smart ones were tilting their head uh, consistently and more than the ones that were deemed not so hyper smart. And so after all of this, they were like, well, that must mean they're, uh, they're listening and understanding and, and waiting for the word. And it was just, uh, they were trying to they, I don't really think they concluded why dogs tilt their head any more than we already have said through conjecture but but the point really of that was I thought of you Alan <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a better example than any that I have for this one I, think. <laughs> I don't know uh, and we already talked about this in a previous episode but whenever uh, um, uh, animals react to magic tricks which we know that I love and I think you said you love as well or somebody loves other than just me uh, but does that in any way illustrate doubt um when they're surprised by a magic trick? Well, yeah, I mean, in some ways it, 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 it illustrates that they had an expectation um, right. of what was true and it turned out to be wrong and they recognize that it's wrong. Um, and they recognize that you pulled a trick on them. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of, they can understand uh, purposeful falsehood, which kind of suggests that they might understand doubt. Or I'll take doubt. It. I think that colloquial something, something, there's a word that follows that, that I should say. But um, I think just from common language, we could think that who's a good boy, a dog's face in response to that may be the canon of doubt for dogs. Who's a good boy? I don't, me, who, who else is here? <laughs> What's going on? That's why I was laughing as you were saying that, not because I thought that, the, I just think that's a fantastic point. We have introduced doubt into their lives by constantly asking them. We've projected that onto them. Uh, we've given them a, a complex really is what we've done. They don't know who's a good boy, but it's important that we fulfill our duty as all human beings to make sure all dogs know that they are, in fact, the good boy. 
<laughs> they don't let them doubt that. Don't let them question that longer than they must. Um, all right. Well, I, I somehow we squeezed it all in. We answered all my questions. I mentioned monkey porn. Danielle, you brought up sandwiches multiple times. It's one of my favorite episodes. I'm not gonna lie. This is great. Sponsorship opportunities, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's true. Sponsorship. Yeah, let's get them in here. Uh just sandwiches in general, blanket across the board, big sandwich. We'll take a sponsorship when you're ready. Uh, sadly, I got to wrap things up. Uh, I love hanging out with you guys. And I, I really, uh, truly appreciate all of you making time. I know how busy everybody is. And this isn't easy to do every week. So every time you show up, uh, it fills me with joy. So thank you, Alan. Thank you, Decker. Thank you, Danielle. Um, and not just for doing this show, but going on and, and sharing stories about yourselves and, and, and making it a great conversation tonight. Uh, since we don't have a proper guest, I'll just go ahead and assume that role for a second and plug our show. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to go back and check out the rest available on iTunes, Spotify, and where all podcasts are found. Uh, thank you to you, our listeners, for spending the hour with us. If you got time to kill and are feeling generous, go ahead and drop a nice review over on iTunes for us. Check back in next week for another new episode and throw any questions you might have our way by emailing us at thefeelingslab at hume.ai. That's right down here on the screen. T-H-E-F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S-L-A-B at hume, H-U-M-E dot A-I. That's going to do it. Farewell for now from all of us at The Feelings Lab. I'm Matt Forte. Thanks again, everybody. Stay safe out there.